something outside. What is that? joining us today. Um, I don't know if any of you know this, but I actually wrote the arrangement and played all the instruments myself in the intro. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I did not. I, that was actually put together by uh, our co-host Shane Corson. Yay. Again, he, but uh, with me today, uh, we're excited today because we're having a uh, live Q&A. We haven't done one of these in, in quite some time. And uh, we hope to have answered questions from uh, folks that have joined us and calling in. With me today are Julie Wrench and Shane Corson. How are you guys today? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing good, Gunner. Um, I, we, briefly, before the show started, we were talking about weather, and I just want to say the weather up here in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Washington, has been a little bit crazy. We've had all sorts of uh, hail and thunder and whatnot. It's it's uh, a funny time to be out researching and to steal a line from Forrest Gump with my own input. The weather in the Pacific Northwest is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I'll tell you what, it's exactly like that. It's been nuts. Uh, but I'm um, still getting out there doing some research and recording. I know we've had friends in the field recently down uh, in the Tomac area doing some uh, great research down there with some interesting results that hopefully down the road on, on one of these shows uh, we can have that, you know, uh, that individual on and, and talk about what's going on down there in the Tomac Forest. But, man, uh, I don't know about you guys, but the weather up here has been nuts. It's been, yeah, it's it's spring, almost summer, and we we pretty much count on rain right up through the 4th of July um, on the Oregon coast. But uh, it's actually been pretty nice so far, uh, just getting a little rain, watering the grass. Gives us an opportunity to get out there and mow, which you know, uh-huh. we all love to do. How are things over in, in your neck of the woods, Julie? Oh, well, let's see. It's been like 85 degrees and very humid. Um, We're still over at the beach, so it's going to be expected, you know. But uh, not much rain the last couple days. Uh, It's it's looking to be a good week overall. It's been pretty good weather here. Uh, We went from winter to summer. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you just skip seasons in certain parts of the country. And I think they only have two seasons back there, so. Right. So let's go ahead and and see who we've got um, on. I see that we've got a caller. Let's let's go ahead and check them out. Okay. 
Let's see here. Let me go ahead and... and uh... Okay, caller, you are live. Who are we speaking with? I think you're speaking to Larry, I think. Larry? Larry. <laughs> hey, Larry. Larry. Hey, yeah. hey Larry. just a quick What's going note. On? Just a quick note on the weather. I saw it all last night. Uh, sideways rain, rain. Actually, the whole campground was a swamp when I came out of my tent this morning. It was fun, and I was I was out last night. And I just got I just got home. Well, I'm not even home. I'm still in my mobile office at large. And I got a question. Yes. That being, and this is uh, I'm winging this now. But I got a question, and that is, in the Bigfoot world, I hear a lot about con- conservation and protecting the species as a whole. Both This question is for both Shane and Gunner. What would that mean to you in the way of conservation and protection of the species, as it's not really been identified yet, but if it comes to fruition where it is, what would it mean to you? And do you agree with um, conservation and protecting, say, the, the lands in which they live on, that type of thing? Just in, just throwing some ideas out there, but I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Gene, why don't you take that first and then I'll follow up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Larry, it's a great question. Uh, tough one to answer, to be honest with you, because like you said, Sasquatch hasn't been proven, but if it ever were proven, yeah, it would shake up. Uh, a lot of it would, it would not only create a lot of talk, but then you know you have to at some point uh, further the research of of this known entity, this known creature out in in the woods of North America, and you'd probably have to set aside land. But by doing that, you're going to have to really do a lot of research on on Sasquatch itself, and and that's where I think researchers and and, and those individuals like. Dr. Jeff Meldrum and, and some of these science-based individuals are involved with this creature come into play because uh, science is going to go, okay, now this creature, this, this, uh, this, you know, Sasquatch does exist. Now, they're going to lean on us for information on all of our, uh, you know, collaborative efforts, everything we've uh, documented, and then, you know, and expand upon that. You know, science is now going to be heavily interested as a whole, wondering how... Sasquatch could exist without uh, being, you know, how, why haven't we discovered bodies? And they're going to want to know, well, how do they live? How do they thrive? How do they breed? What do they eat? It's going to create uh, a, a kind of a, uh, a bit of a storm uh, in, in that. And so everything's going to be affected. Logging, um, people can't, out camping. So there's going to, there would have to be, I would imagine, and just me spitballing here, but I would imagine you're going to have to set aside land. Uh, you know, extreme. Uh, we don't know how much land a Sasquatch needs to survive and thrive. So you're going to have to set aside specific amounts of land designated for Sasquatch. But I mean, that's <laughs> all that is. Even when Sasquatch proven exists, that can't happen overnight. It's going to take study of Sasquatch in their environment, which we already know is near impossible because we haven't proven them to exist yet. But it's going to take a lot of science. Uh, and individuals that will become interested in it because of it being proven to get an answer there. But it's going to affect uh, everything as we know, whether it's camping or logging. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a really tough question to answer. 
But I'm all for it. I'll tell you, I'll be all for it because I know Sasquatch exists. And, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that perhaps they do need some sort of um, protection. You know, I'm not saying they're not doing well on their own. I'm not saying that, but we don't know. We don't know. Maybe because of our encroachment as a species, as a humans, growing and populating and taking over more and more land, we're making their environment uh, smaller and smaller. All these wildfires happening, destroying, you know, old-growth forests and whatnot. If you look at the orangutans, like in Sumatra and some other areas where deforestation and fires take place, uh, these uh, orangutans are hurting. They're hurting big time, and it's it's not even a question. They're 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 uh, becoming. Um, they could be on the uh, very much on the endangered list, uh, and so Sasquatch could be in, already there. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe they're doing just fine, but. That's something that science is going to have to look at, that conservationists are going to have to look at, the government's going to have to look at. And I know, unfortunately, as soon as you get the government involved, usually that's a bad thing and, and everything goes downhill. But it's, that's a question that I hope is raised because we don't know if Sasquatch, well, I sure as heck don't know if Sasquatch is doing great, they're doing bad, uh, you know. But uh, great question. I mean, I, I don't have a, a solid answer other than I know that when that day comes, and I think it will come, it's going to be detrimental um, to their species that we maybe possibly look at some sort of heavy conservation in these forests around North America. I, I kind of got the yeah. No, my my opinion is basically we should already be protecting the environment that Sasquatch shares with all the known animals. So that looks like and the you know it. At discovery, when there's a uh, humanoid or a closer to human species, a mammal, you know, a primate, um, it's I, I'm not I'm not sure what the the outcome will be. I mean, there, you know, I've I've you've heard the stories of of the logging industry being concerned and that that there's I've I've heard stories of of you know it's kind of a don't talk about it if you if you have a Bigfoot sighting, don't talk about it because they'll shut the you know, logging industry down. Um, I I don't see that happening. I I mean there there would be a, I think there would be a time of assessment where where the government would have to assess their population and and territory needs and 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 all that kind of stuff. But I I'm of the opinion that we should already be conserving. Our, our forest as you know managing them in in a intelligent way because I'm my thing is we're stewards of the planet we want I would like my grandchildren to see be able to walk out in the woods so uh, it's important part of our uh, ecology and the I, I just it's it, it will be it, there will be some moment of of pause and and a period of assessment. Julie, do you have some input in that? Um, yeah, I was sitting here thinking about that. And, like, for example, where I'm at, um, the the different recordings I've been getting and the things that have been going on around my our property, these things are on other people's private property. Um, so... It's really got me thinking if they do um, 
you know, deem them to exist. What about the ones that are hanging out on people's private property? I mean, how are they going to tell them what to do with them on their own private property? They're going to have to set up really strange laws because, you know, the gorillas, for example, they have the forest that it's not really private property. So that applies to wherever they go in the forest. Well, here in the States, you have them on people's property. So I always, how how do you handle that? You know, because the people around where I live, they don't take too kindly anybody telling them what to do about anything that's on their property. So I think that could open up a really huge can of worms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thought, uh, Julie, interesting thought, you know, and, and uh, I don't think there's an easy answer there, (laughs) you know, so, uh, yeah, that's something that we'll have to see played out if, if Sasquatch is ever proven to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, Larry, does that does that kind of yeah. answer your question, Larry? Yeah, I I wanted to. I don't know if we've ever spoke about that before, but uh, one thing's for certain in our experiences, uh, you don't really have to go look for them. They come to you for one thing. We can't mm-hmm. control them. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a given, and they are on private property. Um, my feelings on that is is that uh, most definitely would be much more uh, a, an impact than the spotted owl has here on the north in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, you think? <laughs> you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I'm I'm bringing this up for a point. Is that? Uh, it was there was much study on the of the spotted owl that they only lived in old growth forests. Well, Oregon only had like a, less than ten percent of old growth forests, and they I've seen with my own eyes while hunting reprod spotted owls, you know, catching mice and stuff. So, and they closed out fast tracts of uh, national forest and land to protect these species when they easily adapt uh, adapted um, and with the spotted owl far-reaching uh, consequences, we've lost vast tracts of uh, access to uh, timberlands. In, in Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys realize, that, but the populated area of Oregon is only 3% of the land mass of the entire state. Therefore, all the rest of that is unpopulated. I did my, my study. Um, so with that, the, the encroachment in the environment, uh, is, it, we've seen logging, and that's all planned. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a state law and a federal law to replant inside of two years. And for everybody that's listening out there, trees grow like grass in Oregon. Within five years, those trees are 15 feet tall. They just grow that fast. So I'm just kind of wrapping the, trying to wrap this around in my head looking forward, uh, you know, forward thinking is, is because the government will do a knee-jerk reaction like they did with the spotted owl mm-hmm. and close up vast, vast mm-hmm. tracts of land. I wanted to, to have your opinions on that. I certainly have an opinion on it. But um, these, in my opinion, from what I've seen is that, or, uh, you know, the contacts that I've had, um, one, one, one thing's for sure, like I told you, they don't have, we don't have to go look for them. Most of the time, if they're in the area, they'll find you. 
um, order on private property and stuff. Right. Um, the uh, conservation, uh, that that part there I wanted to throw at you guys because these things here have been doing quite well. I mean, we've been in areas where motorcycles are ripping around all over the place, guns going off all over the place, and there they are. We can't figure it out. That's why I wanted to ask you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah, real quick, Larry. I mean, those areas that you, you speak of uh, that we've researched in, uh, you know, first of all, I'm not going to claim to know what Sasquatch is doing. Or, you know, where they, where, you know, I think Sasquatch is, is mainly, you know, a, a nocturnal thing where, you know, they do a lot of their stuff at night. But is that because of man or is that something that are, that's natural for them in general? You know, and are they just passing through these areas uh, where, you know, people are at or, or are they trying to actually live in an area where people are at? You know, so many questions. The government, nobody, nobody, I believe, really knows the answer. I don't know the answer. And so it's a, it's a tough question. There will have to be a huge freaking study. Uh, you know, and that's yeah. what will happen. You know, um, there will probably be, like you said, and a great point, a knee-jerk reaction from the government, um, you know, and from the public where people are going to be, you know, oh, I've been out camping in that area and there was Sasquatch there. They were there. You know, so there's going to be a lot of knee-jerk reactions but uh, nobody, uh, I think, can claim to know exactly how what's good for a Sasquatch. Yeah, I think they're doing. I think they're doing good. I think they're doing fine. But I mean, I don't know that for a fact. That I don't know if old growth force play, a, uh, you know, or an impact in their life, or if, the, if that even matters. You know, so there's just a lot of uh, questions there that need answering. Uh, I don't think there's an easy answer for it. But I guarantee that it will shake up. Uh, science will shake up. Everything as we know it, if that day comes, which I think it will, and uh, you know, uh, we'll have to see where the cards fall there. But uh, you know, you know for a fact that uh, you know I'm I'm big into conservation. You know, uh, whether I'm hiking or whatnot, uh, you know, I'm hugely into conservation. Like Gunnar said, it's something we should be doing, something that we are, I know, as individuals are doing, something we promote, regardless of the Sasquatch phenomena, because there's a, a lot of other species out there that need uh, protection and need the environment, you know, in a clean matter. And, uh, you know, it's something we should be doing already, like Gunnar mentioned. No, that's I, – I, what I do have uh, foresee happening is that the sta- – I've got about 200 of these um, signs that say, do not feed the Sasquatch, and I'll – I will put no. those to the government <laughs> immediately because, um, yeah. you know, we, we need, we yeah. need to, people need to be aware that they're sharing the forest with these monsters. So, right. um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it is, it's, uh, how, how much protection do they need? Because, uh, I, you know, I've heard the conversation people bring it up that when they're discovered that people will start hunting them and I'm like, well, though I, I'm pretty sure that laws will be enacted that, that, you know, there's and uh, to protect them in that way from humans, mm-hmm. and it will be against the law for us to go out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, first of all, they're not easy. It's easy to shoot one. We we wouldn't be having this conversation about are mm-hmm. they? You know, are and how can we haven't proven them that they exist? Well, that's because they are masters of their environment. So you know, yeah. we're all. Uh, out there, look. We well, we do go out and look for them. I know what Larry talked about. You can't force an encounter, you know. It's but 
going out and the experiences that we've had in our research area in the Tillamook Forest, it, it's a matter of them, um, if what we've had um, experience with our, our Bigfoot, mm-hmm. it's it's a matter of them coming to us, not us going out and, you know, planting them. I, they're they're just out there, and they're we don't you know I think it it would then command some kind of extensive scientific study, probably funded by the government at that point, to as as to what the nature of you know what their nature is and and all their social and I mean it, then we'd probably get somebody could be paid to go out and and actually research them in the way that Jane Goodall you know Brian Rossi would have studied. Other primates. So, mm-hmm. well, there's not going to be any rounding them up to. Hey, you guys have to go over here to this national forest or uh, over there because that's where your conservancy is going to be. There's just no right. way they're going to be able to do that. So there's going to have to be some some major um, think tanks on this because you know, like Larry said, how do you? What conservancy laws are you going to put on them when they're on private property and? You know, Billy Bob don't want you on his property, government or not, coming back here and poking around, seeing what you know what what you got going on back there. It could get real. It could get real touchy with a yeah. lot of landowners, you know, because where I'm at, we have a lot of people that own 100, 200, or more acres of the forest, and they don't even live on that land. You know, they mm-hmm. just own it, been in the family for generations, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not going to really be too excited about the government saying, well, since you have these on your property, you can't build here now or something. You know what I mean? It's, it, it could get uh, could get ugly. Yeah, it that's could, way down the road. Again, I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's how, how do we deal with private property issues and, and any other species at the moment? I mean, the, mm-hmm. it, it just depends on, again, first you have to prove that they are in that particular person's property to do anything, you know, um, to enact it. It's going to be protection of the species and and how that falls out, you know, again, conservation, sure, there'll probably there'll be a, uh, have to be a, a time of assessment. You know, now that, wow, we thought these things weren't real and uh, and now now we know that they are and and look, 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 look what they are. I mean, because they're not, it's, it's a species that's not like a gorilla, per se. It's a di- completely different species. So mm-hmm. then it'll be the matter of how close are they to, you know, to humans. I mean, there's people that believe that they're a lost tribe. So then mm-hmm. then you got a whole different it, a different issue about, you know, do we tax them? I mean, <laughs> what on the tax roll? Because <laughs> there's, there's, you know, the way, you know, the, way the government thinks <laughs> The income, uh, income stream. So yeah, so I don't know. It's it's a good question, Larry. Yeah, Very it's good. a great question. But I will I will say, uh, you know, the thought of, of mass individuals going out trying to hunt them and shoot, I think it's kind of a joke because I haven't seen. You know, there's individuals out there that I think are actively doing that. Uh, that well, I know there are that have had little luck, and uh, I'm not seeing a, ta- a body brought to the table yet. Uh, I, I don't see uh, that many people out there. You know, even if they do, good luck. I mean, I mean, we—I've seen 
lots of individuals claim stuff and, and, and nothing's come into fruition. Nothing's come, you know, no solid evidence has come from those scenarios where somebody's claimed to have shot one, whether they have or haven't. And I think in the past, it's a high possibility. But once again, uh, you know, where's the evidence for it? I'm not, uh, honestly, I'm not really concerned about a bunch of individuals, you know, you know, as they say, rednecks going out there trying to shoot. Good luck. I mean, these are masters of their environment that mm-hmm. have avoided man uh, that show glimpses every once in a while of themselves. But, uh, you know, even if somebody, you know, claim they have them on their property, you know, there's just so little evidence for that, even though I think it's happening and it's happened in the past and it's happening now, you know, so little evidence of that, you know, the, the government, I could see just be going on, uh, a lot of uh, fruitless chases, you know, there's a lot of dedicated individuals, researchers, and even some science-based individuals doing that now and coming back with little results or mm-hmm. anything really solid to bring to the table. And just because you get uh, science involved, uh, I don't think they're going to have much more luck But for a number of reasons, including I don't think there's that many Sasquats roaming around, not, not in high, high numbers or in high concentration in areas. You know, it's a lot of times it's just, a fleeting glimpse and luck of the draw. So I'm not too worried about people going out and, you know, if proven to exist, them trying to hunt them. But I guarantee, you know, uh, there will be laws passed and it'll be a lot of knee-jerk stuff, as Larry mentioned, going on because, uh, you know, it's going to, even if Sasquatch is proven to exist and there's a body on the table, there's going to be a, a lengthy study on what Sasquatch is and, you know, is it is it closer to human? Is it, you know, non-human? I mean, all sorts of questions there that uh, it'll take a, lo- a lengthy amount of time to to assess, like Gunnar mentioned, uh, assess the situation, because uh, we, don't, we, we don't have, uh, it's not proven, so we don't know numbers, we, don't, we know nothing. So, uh, man, what a, what a can of worms that is as a question in, in, <laughs> in all aspects. We could do a whole show about just that, I mean, that conservation thing. What, what, yeah. One more point on that is that, you know, they, the difference that that, um, confirmation of the species brings is perhaps there'll be some money put behind it. That's one of the biggest challenges right now is is there's nobody that is well funded that can spend the, the time that it would take to actually do a thorough study. Um, you know, that that's that's a piece that's missing in, in current Bigfoot research. Now you, you have confirmation and uh, that's where I see the government or universities, you know, that now it's not taboo, that that uh, the subject is not a, you know, uh, a taboo subject even in uh, mainstream science. You have, once you have confirmation, now now it can be funded to be studied, and uh, and that's that'll be cool. I mean, that the, the it kind of changes that. I don't think it will change the fact that obviously they're like you say, Shane, their numbers are not. Uh, tremendous, and they're they're uh, um, not easy. They're very elusive, so it it still will be a challenge for for uh, even when somebody is doing it full time. I just think that that it, it, it is possible. Um, if I've, in fact, I've said you, Shane would be a great candidate if I had the opportunity to send Shane out in the field for a, an extended period of time, and he didn't have to come back until he had, you know, documentation, I, I think we could get something done. Um, there's other individuals as well that, you know, if that's what they they were dedicated to doing, that, and they didn't have, you know, 
have to work and have uh, the challenges of of being self-funded, I, I think we get we we'd be able to document behavior and and uh, actually have clear photographs. I it's just it's a it's a time thing and a money thing. You know, there's those two things are a challenge when everybody's self-funded and um, doing it on their own time and their own time. So, great yeah, question. Uh, yeah. question, Larry. Yeah, I thought I'd kick you. I thought I'd kick you guys off with a good one. <laughs> that was okay. a great question. It, it, it was that was that your only question? Are you good to go, or are you happy with that? I think so. We could have that lame discussions for this about this for hours, but I think we. I think uh, between you three, uh, uh, the answer came through, and uh, I hope your folks uh, think about what in the future. And yeah. what Gunnar was saying about research, further research. Oh, Shane, you'll probably be needing a wingman while you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, appreciate the uh, appreciate the question. Uh, I know you're up to some exciting things down there in, in uh, the Oregon coast, and you had a, a weekend. So looking forward to uh, having you back on, maybe chat about that sometime. All right, we'll do. All right, yeah, thanks, thank man. You, Thanks, Larry. Well, I know yeah, we had interesting, a uh, interesting question. We had had a couple folks that that had sent some questions in. You know, they weren't going to be able to to make it to the live show. Shane, did you have a couple of those handy? You know, I don't necessarily have them handy. Um, I a oh, few okay. of these individuals I think are going to be going to be calling in to the show here shortly. Uh, but uh, you know what? One of those questions, I'll tell you, uh, it, it was about Washington. It came in from an um, uh, individual by the name of Craig. He had a question about, you know, what was some of the more recent Sasquatch sightings um, in, in the state of Washington specifically. But I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll make that question a little more broad and say Oregon and, and Julie, your area of the country, you want to know what were some of the more uh, recent encounters and have those uh, encounters been researched and if they've been researched what were some of the findings uh, or some of the you know outcome of that research in those areas and um, I'll start I'll start out you know kind of answering this question since I'm in Washington um, I'll be honest with you uh, well actually and part of that question was also you know the, I guess he had mentioned that the BFRO has not really updated or there's not been a whole lot of encounters shared or sent out there from the BFRO, and he said uh, there, there's been a lot in Washington State. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've not heard of a whole lot of recent encounters in the state of Washington, uh, and uh, so it, it, things have slowed down. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I will say with the BFRO, you know, for them to post an encounter on their their website. They have a private area where all these, the public doesn't get to see this, but they have an area where all these encounters, people send stuff into uh, fresh encounters, old encounters, and then they're vetted. And by vetted, I mean for, for an encounter show, for excuse me, for an encounter to be posted to the, the, the BFRO uh, online, it has to be investigated by a, uh, a BFRO uh, uh, individual investigator so mm-hmm. if, if it's just if it's not investigated you'll never see it on the bfro 
it won't get posted. It's not just like, oh, someone shares a uh, report and then it gets posted. No, it actually has to be physically uh, investigated to be on on the BFRO website. And yeah, so, of course, um, move from from the private area to the public. I was a little, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and the, Gunny, yeah, you that, know this well. Can you can, can you right. explain a little bit more? Sure. No, I mean, it, I was a, a PFRO investigator for a long time, and uh, there's an air, a private area where, like you said, raw reports mm-hmm. come in called flats, and and investigators go in and and take on different reports. I'll take this one and that, but there was always a huge backlog of of reports that, you know, there's never enough investigators to keep up with the reports that were coming in. So, and even if if uh, a report was investigated, didn't mean that it ever got published pu- publicly. It just depended mm-hmm. on, because I, re- I remember re- doing an investigation with David Ellis up, up in Washington, and um, it was, the report actually was a big, white Bigfoot uh, and two little ones. It was an interesting story, but the supposedly uh, there was a reference point. This, the report was from like ten years prior, and uh, there was a stump there that was supposedly the landmark that this Bigfoot walked by and where it marked it. Well, because because this the measurements I can't remember was outside of the norm. The report never got published publicly because it, it kind of fell out of the norm of of uh, um, what was, you know, there's some criteria, I guess, and I think it's kind of arbitrary. I don't know how it is now, um, but yeah, there was uh, somebody has to, you know, sometimes it's a phone call, preferably somebody goes to the location and documents it more thoroughly, but it, it, there's, it doesn't, they don't just drop right into the the website that people see publicly. Right. Okay. Well, listen, guys, we have a call. Um, let me go ahead and grab that. Hang on just a second. We'll wait here. All right. <laughs> Caller, you are <laughs> live. May I ask who's calling us tonight? Yeah, this is Craig Yanni from uh, Seattle, Washington. Oh, hey, Craig. Awesome. Hey, Craig. <laughs> Hey guys, got a question for Shane Gunner? Yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah. I just want to say hi to Gunner and Shane, and you guys are doing a great job on the radio here, and I enjoy listening to the programs. And uh, yeah, I actually have a three or three questions. It seems like you guys got one of them already. He read one off, um, and thanks for doing that and giving us a, an update on what was going on. Everybody kept asking me, and I didn't know the answer. And that was good to know new information that um, that I that I needed to know as well. Um, hopefully someday I'll be able to do some reports and give them in too, because I'm looking forward to getting out there and uh, finding some good hotspot areas and updating everybody in Washington. Hopefully. Awesome! 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 Yeah. Um, a couple of questions. Uh, that would be. Uh, um, there's lots of sightings in Washington state and I know um, Shane and Derek and everybody from the Olympic project is going out quite a bit. Um, is there going to be any new um, updates on what's going on with uh, the Olympic project and possibly some of the other areas that 
or having, um, you know, like it's a hotspot area that they're having lots of vocalizations and possibly footprints being recorded as well? Yeah. yeah. Shane, you uh, want to go ahead and take that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, honestly, you know, it's been, uh, it seems like there's been a little bit of a dry spell with reports coming in and encounters and, and whatnot to be expected. These encounters and reports will pick up as more individuals get out there, go hiking, camping, school gets out, kids are going to be out, parents want to, you know, take advantage of that and, and hit the high country and the low country, whether it's on the coast or the mountains. I think your best chance right now is going to be at a higher elevation. That's just me personally because you're going to start seeing uh, the berries, uh, you know, like huckleberry and, and Oregon grape and, and whatnot start to sprout. And so, with uh, there's been a lot of recent bear reports uh, in a lot of these areas of interest in around the state of Washington, Oregon. Uh, bears are you know kind of coming out of their semi uh, hibernation mode, and they're starting to you know right now we're going to see if you find bear scat, you're going to see a lot of grass. They're feeding on grass and bark and everything else. And so as the months progress, you're going to see more and more berries in their diet. You're going to find that in the scat, but they're going to be at a higher usually higher elevation uh, and whatnot. And so that's where we're going to start seeing, I think, an influx in reports are from some of these higher elevation spots where people go to the mountains to go camping, you know, some of these higher mountain lakes and streams and rivers. I think that's where you can get the, you know, the just of these reports. But there has been a lull. And I think a lot of reason for this lull, and I'll get to, I'll answer your question a little bit better here, Craig, but the, this lull, I think, has to do with the time of year and also, you know, um, Finding Bigfoot, the show just ended. I, there was an influx in the BFRO and a, and a multitude of other areas, other formats and and whatnot, where the, we had a huge influx of reports. And not saying these reports are bogus and whatnot, but there was an excitement about finding Bigfoot and, and sharing a report. Now, the show's ended. It's publicly known that finding Bigfoot is no more. Uh, I think there will probably be more shows, shows down the road. But I think because the show ended, it's it's kind of created this wall, an extra wall. Now this time of year, you know, I think it's pretty predictable. You know, it's predictable that reports slow down, but they're going to pick up, I think. And I'll tell you, in Washington State, um, the majority of reports right now coming in from like Snohomish area, Snohomish counties, and Skamania, which is a well-known Bigfoot hotspot in in Washington State. Um, one mm-hmm. other area where I expect the reports to pick up, but that right now are, you know, kind of high compared to the rest of the state is Mount Rainier, the Mount Rainier area. There's been a lot of recent track finds, a lot of recent vocalizations that have been reported. Uh, I'm not aware of too many sightings per se, but those three areas, Snohomish, Snohomish Skamania, and Mount Rainier, uh, there's been uh, a slight influx in reports. I mean, compared to the rest of the state. Now, they'll pick up uh, in the Olympics, uh, in a lot of other areas, you know, Yakima and whatnot. I think they're going to pick up. But uh, that's where the reports are coming in right now, hotter and heavier than the rest of these, some of the areas. But I also think there's a lot more people going out to some of these areas. So now, as far as to answer your question about the, pardon me, the Olympic project, well, we're still working heavily on this nesting uh, site, this nesting site study we've been working on um, uh, with Dr. Jeff Meldrum and Todd Disatel, Do- Todd Disatel out of New York. 
and uh, we're waiting, waiting um, on results. Uh, I know that it's been a long, we talked about this on the show, it's been a long process. It's a very tedious process. It's a very time-consuming, slow process. You know, uh, we want results. We want answers, regardless of what those answers and results may uh, come from uh, or what they may end up being. But uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's slow. So, I expect some answers here in the next couple of weeks, quite honestly, uh, some, some sort of initial results. I know um, Dr. Todd Distel is interested in coming out from, you know, uh, leaving the lab and heading out towards the Olympics with us to wow. take his own samples. That's awesome. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he wants to travel up this way and take his own samples. He's, it's been a learning curve when it comes to uh, environmental DNA and eDNA. It's been a learning curve for him. For us, uh, you know, he's, he's an expert in his field. But, you know, uh, with eDNA, it's still, it's been around for years, but it's still, there's a lot of kinks to be worked out. There's a lot to learn. There's new techniques being uh, revealed daily and how to collect stuff and how to analyze it via eDNA. And so he wants to personally come out and collect his own samples uh, under some of these new guidelines that he's learned uh, delving into eDNA. Um, I think uh, we should have some initial results or some sort of re results here shortly. I don't know for a fact. I'm guessing, uh, being you know, talking back and forth with these individuals involved, and we'll see what happens. I can't make any promises, and, and chances are, uh, it, it probably won't be shared online. Uh, you know, because it's it's science. It's beyond me. So it's science, and it needs to be vetted, uh, peer-reviewed, blah blah blah, before anything substantial is shared publicly and you know, it's just mm -hmm. the way it works and that's you know we're very much about that um but i will tell you this i will tell you this craig you know uh not too far away from the net site we have found recently uh, in an adjacent area uh not too far away we found recent uh, tracks that we were pretty enthralled with pretty intrigued with uh and uh, we found these recent tracks and casted them uh smaller tracks larger tracks and this area still to this day, it gets we, we do get reports in from time to time, you know, periodically. Uh, but there have been some recent interesting track impressions found in an adjacent area that gives me hope. In fact, um, Cliff Berrickman and I, uh, not too far away, uh, investigated a report of a sighting. Uh, this is the, like the one sighting that I know of recently where uh, Cliff Berrickman of, you know, Finding Bigfoot and a good friend of mine, he uh, and I went out to this area to investigate a, a recent sighting from a young individual that had pulled over alongside a creek, uh, was tossing rocks in the creek, and he knows that there was more rocks coming into the creek than he was throwing, and when he had stopped, these, these rocks kept coming in, and he looks up from, uh, from the other, uh, to the other side of the creek, and he sees a large hairy individual, a large hairy something, and it, 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 it was down on all fours as he described it. And when it stood up, he said it was massive, and it took off. Wow. Yeah, it took off. And so that was something we investigated. We, didn't, we found a couple of interesting impressions. We found some kind of interesting scat, uh, but we didn't really find anything more than that. And we spent uh, quite a few hours in this area combing it, hiking it, looking around. Uh, but uh, everything that the, this individual had mentioned kind of matched up. I mean, there we could see where he had pulled over, found his tire tracks, uh, 
it looked like he it looked like at the time he had gotten the heck out of there really quick cuz there was a large peel out in the sand next to this creek which was really interesting um and then when i when i you know looked at this area it made a lot of sense for me given that the nest site wasn't too i mean it was it was a distance but it wasn't extremely far away uh but this area was very interesting because of location and the food sources and uh the crossing area that it might have taken to get to another area and not to mention there's been uh, other reports historically in this area and i can't mention the area but it, it just got a lot going for it and so uh this time of year though i'll tell you what in this area that we're working on the nest cider things seem to uh, activity reports vocalizations you name it die down uh, because i think of the elevation I think uh, Sasquatch, personally, I think it moves up into these higher elevated spots where there's um, abundance of berries and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, I could be wrong. I don't know. But that's just a, to give you a, a lengthy answer to your question, Craig, uh, that's kind of, you know, Washington State, the report's going to pick up, I think. I really do believe that as people get out. And there'll be a lot of, you know, misidentifications and whatnot. You, you really got to pay attention to the nuggets in some of the sightings to really peel out what's what's a misidentified sighting, you know, a bear or, or a person or whatever, to what's possibly got some gold nuggets in there and maybe there's some activity of, Sas- of the Sasquatch nature. So um, I hope that kind of answers your question. Oh, it does. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, it seems to me that uh, the Sasquatch and Bigfoot are moving up higher to the berries and – I know when I went out this weekend a little bit, I saw salmon berries everywhere, and uh, that's the good indication that things are starting to bloom and, and berries are budding out and, and everything is moving around. Um, one quick question. Um, this will be the last one. And as far as the Sasquatch family and clans go, and with the Bigfoot and Sasquatch, for the years and years of camera work that I've been doing at all the conferences, and I've been pretty quiet about it. I don't talk a lot about it, but I do – have my some of my own opinions and stuff and and i do really like what derek's doing and you're doing and dr jeff meldrum and and some of the other uh, uh sasquatch researchers and it seems to me that when they go out they know the areas where the activity is happening because my personal um, opinion is is that i think that they're staying within a, a certain area but they do migrate around but they do kind of like hang out and ponds and rivers and areas where there's lots of food and they do kind of follow that food chain but it doesn't seem to me like they're traveling thousands of miles maybe they're traveling at the most hundreds of miles but if they do have families they need to feed their kids and their families and then they kind of migrate around and every now and then i'm sure you get some gypsy travelers who are going long distances but do you think that is kind of close to what a lot of researchers are are thinking or do you think they migrate like big giant um, elk herds and deer herds, and they're just going major distances. What's the take on that? Yeah, I, um, I, I'll let Gunner and Julie jump in on this in a sec, but I do have, a, I, I personally, I'm of the opinion that Sasquatch doesn't need to travel hundreds of miles to survive and thrive. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, in the Olympics, one of the areas that we research, you know, there's a, a herd of elk, about 40 strong, that don't travel hundreds of miles. So they travel many 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 square miles but they go from higher to lower elevation in fact they're on the pro- a lot of times they're on the property this time of year eating the grass around where we camp and our hub is but they don't 
we'll find them in higher elevations, the same herd, but not necessarily hundreds of miles away. They don't need to necessarily travel. They're, they're following food sources, and I think Sasquatch is the same, whether they, they hunt deer uh, or elk or, and, or eat, you know, berries and whatnot. It really revolves around a couple of key things here. It's, it's food, you know, natural resources. I think definitely it's it's also about humans. You know, it, where are we where are we at? If there's a, a lot of humans in one area, not that they won't come in and out in an area, but they're not going to survive and thrive there. They would have been found. So they're, but and the weather, of course, the weather uh, obviously plays a yeah. huge role. You know, if you got a snow elevation, well, there's not much food up there. You know, so you're going to travel lower and lower. You know, in mm-hmm. the winter and then higher, at least here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, as the the, the snow Absolutely. comes down, you know the peaks get insurpassable and a lot of snow, and you travel down and down and down. And I think that's why you see more uh, reports on the coastal ranges in the winter. Uh, you know, where you got plenty. You know, you got salmon coming up the rivers. You have mussels and all sorts of stuff. You know, and 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 of course ungulates traveling around deer and whatnot to eat and and, and eat upon. But you know, definitely, um, I think they don't have to travel many miles it's just about uh where are those natural resources and where can they survive and thrive and in the olympics i think for me it's a perfect example is when we see reports you know the olympics is really cool because it's surrounded by coastal areas you know it's a giant huge peninsula basically and you can go from mountain yeah you can go from mountain to coast in no time and get out of you can go from really cold snowy weather to you know temperate rain rainforest sort of scenarios where there's abundance of plant life and animal life and fish life and whatnot so yeah i mean i think and 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 i think um as a whole i think a lot of individuals researchers uh have come to the realization that sasquatch or or animals in general don't have to travel these hundreds of miles of migrated area to, to migrate that they can actually just travel relatively small distances to survive and thrive. Now, there's a lot of people who disagree with me that think Sasquatch travels great distances. And you know what? They could be right. I don't think so. Just my opinion. Uh, Gunnar, what do you think? I I think they're transitory, not migratory. I think it's all about resources, right. food, food and water and, and uh, cover. That, uh, yeah. you know, no, no animal is going to expend more energy than they need to survive. So they're going to, you know, if they they have enough food, they have enough cover, and they have enough water, they're, they're going to work a range, you know, just, just like any other known animal does. That's my opinion. Absolutely. I agree, Gunner. Yeah. Yeah. Julie, what about you? Do you have a, an opinion on this? Did we lose Julie? No, I'm sorry. I'm here. I had my mute on. Hello? Yeah. Uh, Julie. What's your opinion, Julie, on, on, on Sasquatch yeah, migrating, you know, huge distances and whatnot? I mean, do you think that's a possibility or do you think they, they don't need to, to migrate huge distances? You know, being on the east coast side of things what's your opinion uh well i know that on the west side of north carolina is the uh, appalachian mountains and 
they may go from higher levels to lower levels depending on season and food supply and weather and you know things that you guys are talking about because they have that um, ability to do that. But where I'm at in central North Carolina, there's really not those mountains, so to speak. We have some that you know are maybe 1,200 feet tall, the maximum. So I don't think that they're needing to migrate anywhere in that area. And I can tell you that I am a few miles away from the Uari. And uh, it appears that they're they're there, around there. Um, and I, I just don't see them going very far because they may not have to go very far. Everything they need is right there, you know, thousands of acres of forest and ponds and lakes and and everything so they I, they may transit it and maybe kind of go uh, a pattern if you will um because it seems like they do have sort of a pattern where they go around the area that i'm at so i think they just kind of follow the food but they always have to stay by stay close by that water source yeah that's for sure, definitely. And then one more quick question, guys. Yeah. Um, the other one is is that and I'm thinking that there's a possibility that they're caving, like, you know, they find a cave and they're they're caving in these caves, you know, temporarily and moving around following the food sources and drinking water and, and making families and whatnot. But also um, the nests are being found, and those could be gypsy stationary areas where they're gypsying around trying to get to different locations to find food. And, and uh, these are where track can, and trackways can be found. Um, you know, if you're out there quite a bit in one area, you kind of get used to um, seeing certain things. And um, my thoughts are that they are possibly doing a little bit of both nesting and caving and, and this is one of the reasons why the, that a lot of people aren't getting the the individual real sightings they're getting vocalizations and these are areas where the vocalizations are bouncing around in the mountain areas and they're up high moving up high to get out of the way of the people when the summers come and then when uh mm-hmm. you know the food sources are needed to be for their families they get in there and feed real quick and then get out but as far as um um you know you're you're your guys' take on whether they're in the caves or um, just hiding in the forest or in the mountains. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one off the bat. Uh, you know, um, it's interesting because uh, there's different cave systems around the country. I mean, you look at Mount St. Helens, it has a different cave system. You have areas on the East, East Coast and, and whatnot that have different cave systems. Um, Does, you know, a lot of animals utilize caves. I know in the Olympics, for example, we have found large rock formations that kind of make a cave system. Uh, And we've gotten some interesting results around that area, uh, both with Sasquatch and and Cougar and and everything else. They utilize these areas for shelter uh, and whatnot. Um, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't personally found a lot of evidence, at least in the Pacific Northwest or the Olympics, for example, to say that Sasquatch really uses a lot of cave systems. I know a number of years ago in, in the Mount Hood National Forest area, there were a few reports of people coming across like a, a nest in kind of a cave system. 
Uh, I, I kind of know the general idea uh, uh, of the area, and it's not a huge cave system. It's very small where somebody came across a nest and some, um, I believe it was, uh, oh, shoot. It was some sort of plant life, uh, uh, farming, uh, like uh, Brussels sprouts or something like that, where um, it looked like the nearest uh, farming area for that sort of plant was like 10 miles away, and they found it in this cave system, and they smelt some weird stuff. They found a nest in this area, um, and it looks like somebody, something had transported that farmer, farmer's product to this area and something was maybe utilizing this caving system and it wasn't much of a caving system um, but I'll, like I said I'll be honest I haven't found a whole lot of evidence of Sasquatch utilizing uh, cave systems uh, I, I we had some interesting results interesting results in the Olympics where there's been these large rock formations that kind of you know uh, make up a cave system where we found impressions and heard some and interesting vocalizations and whatnot uh, nearby, but you know, like the, an outcropping. The, yeah, an outcrop, exactly, like an outcropping, not yeah. a, not a pure cave system per se. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I think you know what, from time to time, Sasquatch probably does utilize those cats and bears, and and a lot of animals do. But with the Pacific Northwest, I mean, up here we have so much uh, other uh, we have such an abundance of, of, of trees and forests uh, in areas that are so thick it's hard to get into or almost impossible to get into. Uh, this nesting area that we're working on, for example, there's not a, a cave system remotely close to this area. There's not even a rock uh, formation or outcropping remotely close to this area. And I'm not saying, like I said before, I'm not screaming that Sasquatch made these nests, but it's, I think it's a very high probability uh, given the area and the resources and the structure and everything else. But, you know, they probably use them from time to time, but they have s such a vast resource of things. You know, I mean, you go out in the woods, and uh, that's why they call hunting hunting. I mean, it's not it's not easy when you go out hunting deer or elk uh, per se, you know, unless you're on a some sort of preserve or something. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's an art. And I think Sasquatch, is, it's just a master of its environment where it utilizes – the high areas, you know, I've always, I've, I've preached this because I, this is something I fundamentally believe in when it comes to Sasquatches. They always, always, always take advantage of the high areas of high formations, structures and mountains and whatnot. And that's why they can monitor us. Uh, and we don't have no idea. I think they always, every uh, thing that I've ever had happen to me that I that I may find suspicious or intriguing or that I attribute possibly to Sasquatch has uh, come from an area where they've had the high ground. And uh, I, I, I think that's their advantage over us is, you know, a lot of these sightings reports that we've investigated over the years, Gunner and I in, in the Lynn Project, Sasquatch is seen going up a hill or it's on a hill or it's in that they have the high ground. That's their advantage. When they're caught there's in the low on ground, the hill. there's something on yeah. the hill. Yeah. Well, I think that's where the advantage is. I think truly that's where the advantage is. So, yeah, um, do they utilize those things? Possibly. Uh, we've had some interesting things happen around some of these outcroppings, as you said, Craig, which is correct. But uh, I've never found a whole, uh, you know, subterranean stuff I've heard about uh, in cave systems. 
Yeah, but you know what? If you're in a cave system, if there's no out, you're kind of screwed uh, in a yeah, lot of ways. You, that makes you know, sense. And, and not that there's not an out, but in a lot of scenarios that I've investigated over the years, there is no out, and once you're trapping yourself. And uh, I don't think Sasquatch needs to to um, partake in, in, in living in these cave systems. I think they, they do, just like bear and everything else, uh, they can do quite well out in the natural environment because they're just, you know, absolute uh, perfectionists when it comes to living out there beyond what we can even fathom. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's just my two cents. Well, I think great. that's great. That's a great answer. Thank you, guys. I just want to okay, say great. thanks thank to Gunner and every. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah quick, thank, thank you so much. Okay, and I'll just. So, uh, no, fantastic question there. Fantastic question there from yeah. Craig. I really enjoyed uh, you, those questions. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you. I know we've talked uh, periodically, and I know you're up to great things and, and uh, your, your uh, background and profession uh, I'm well aware of, and I'm looking forward to collaborating with you down the road for sure. Uh, do, we have another caller. Uh, are we going to yeah. take this caller? Yeah. Yeah, let me go yeah, ahead and get them on here. Hold on. Yeah. Sure. Okay, caller, you are live. Who are we speaking with? Hello. 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 Two five three. Hey, You're live. On Radio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd. <Tom. laughs> How you guys doing? Doing good, good man. Doing pretty good. I've, uh, I'm assuming you recovered from your uh, trip to the nest site. <laughs> <laughs> Took a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 That was a good one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you wanted wanted to talk about vocalizations. Um, yeah. Have you guys ever heard anything remotely close to Sierra sounds or otherwise? That's basically my question. That's wow. it in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Gunner, do you want to take that one uh, right off the bat? Sure. I mean, I, the closest thing that I've heard is the first time that I went out to uh, what became our research area in the Tillamook Forest. And uh, um, if you've heard the story, we've had all these vocalizations going on. Um, first time I met my good friend Larry, uh, Cindy Cadell had taken us out there. And, uh, you know, for this this went on for like two hours. Whoops! And it, I mean, all the what you would put as classic kind of Bigfoot vocalizations and whoops and yells, and it was really weird. And then it um, culminated about midnight with all this like weird, um, uh, lot of chatter. And 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 the interesting thing was because I was actually listening through uh, through a headset with a bionic mic. Uh, and uh, I I thought that I heard something that sounded like that chatter. And uh, underneath there's like other vocalizations going on. It was really weird, and I actually took the headset off and tossed, tossed it so I could hear it. And because uh, my, my mind immediately went to, because all the time I'm analyzing it, could it be people, could it be people, why wouldn't it be people? And it, it wasn't. I mean, I just didn't think it would be people considering what we were hearing, and and uh, but there was some kind of 
my my brain immediately went to well maybe it is people because I was and I was trying to strain to hear words that I recognized and I did and it was some kind of weird and it, it wasn't for very long but I heard it in this other noise and Larry and I um, both looked at each other when it was all over and like because Larry uh, ironically Larry had said something about one of these days I really want to hear samurai chatter and it there was something you know not as clear as what uh, Ron Moorhead uh, is recording from Sierra Sounds, but but it was interesting. And yeah, I mean, never heard anything like it any other time. But was it Bigfoot? Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I mean, that one was weird. And we've had a lot of weird stuff happen up there. Yeah, we have. And I, I personally, uh, Todd, I'm never heard anything in person or actually never recorded after thousands of hours of recordings never recorded anything like what uh was recorded with the sierra sounds but we're going to have a guest on um we're going to be recording a show down the road here next week actually with an individual here in washington state that has some audio that is very uh, it's short, but it's very reminiscent of the Sierra sounds. It's much smaller uh, recording. Uh, it's not the same length and whatnot, but it's very reminiscent of the Sierra sounds that Ron Moorhead got. Very reminiscent. And uh, I'm excited about this uh, interview that we're going to be recording next week because it, it's ongoing. Uh, it, it happen, it's been happening for a couple of years now. Uh, and it's going to be kind of a Monster X exclusive sort of uh, interview, and I'm, I'm excited for a number of reasons because it's um, David Ellis of the Olympic Project is heavily involved in this um, uh, encounter or encounters or whatnot, and they do have a couple of snippets that are very reminiscent, like I said, of the uh, Sierra sounds, uh, but there's also a whole lot of uh, stuff going on with this uh, encounter uh, over several years, and so we uh, we will be including some of that audio in, in this interview, and you can look forward to it, and and uh, it will be a public, you know, it will be there for the public, but it's it's exciting, and like I said, I've never heard anything even close to what Ron recorded, and so his recordings are bar none interesting to all get out because uh, I've never heard anything like that. I've heard and heard and recorded grunts and whistles and a lot of weird stuff over the years. Uh, I know, Todd, we're going to have you on the show at some point, Todd, because I know you, <laughs> <laughs> we are, because you have an amazing story to tell yourself that I think needs to be uh, um, out there. But I've never personally heard that sort of chatter I've always, uh, man, I've been in some areas where I thought, if there's going to be chatter and I've had stuff going on, this is where it's going to happen. I've never recorded it, never heard it. But next right. you know, next week we're, we're going to be sharing some stuff down the road here where an individual, I think, has recorded something very similar. Uh, in fact, when Ron Moorhead heard, and he's heard this individual's recordings, he thought they were his own recordings at the time. And they weren't. They were someone else's. Well, and so that's very intriguing. It's collaboration. It's uh Possibly mimicking what he recorded, and so that's a, that's very exciting to me. Um, uh, Todd, obviously, I, have you ever heard anything like that? I know you're you're a you know you're you're a Lint Project member and whatnot. You're a solid individual. Have you ever heard anything like that, uh, like the Ron Moorhead recordings? 
Uh, not exactly like that, but I have heard some strange things like, yeah. uh, whispering and mumbling, you know, things yeah. like that, but no, yeah. not me personally. I've been, we've been yeah. yelled at things like that, but not like Sierra sounds. I was just curious. I have heard other recordings from other States that sound exactly like Ron Moorhead. So, okay. you know, well, we're, we're, we're going to have you on the show, man. Uh, I know it's uh, been at times a bit of a arm twisting, but I wanted you on the show because you got incredible <laughs> insight into a lot of stuff. You got, you have incredible, uh, you've been involved with some of the, the best Bigfoot researchers that I know. Uh, we're going to be doing some stuff this year. Uh, I'm excited about. So uh, yeah, we're going to have you on the show yep. man, for sure. Uh, look forward to having <laughs> Todd Hill on the show. <laughs> I'm looking forward ah, to we, it. You heard it here first. <laughs> Exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, right that's on, interesting because well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I won't steal Todd's thunder, but I mean, there, there's a, a Bigfoot uh, term video that that Todd has some insights in that that it, that haven't been shared a lot. So it's cool that um, we'll have him. Here. Oh yeah, very cool. When, when we very can, cool. We, when we can pin him down. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, very busy, uh, very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very busy. We're going to get you on, man, shortly. But uh, thanks for your question. Was uh, You got any more questions, or was that it? No, that was basically it. I was just listening, just kicking back on my one day off until next week. Yeah. And, uh, right on. I guess I'll see you guys next well, weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, you next Todd, weekend for calling yeah. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Well, uh, well you know what, Todd that, Hill is, color. yeah, well, I mean, he's one of my favorite peeps. I mean, he's just an amazing individual. Todd Hill's a, a go-getter. He gets out there. He's about as honest as all can be. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I'm glad he called in because I can't wait to get him on the show. Having worked with yeah. uh, certain thermal footage pieces out there, been involved, he's got some so much insight having traveled from, and I'll say this, from California to Washington He's uh, been around for many years under the radar and involved in a lot of cool stuff. So he's going to be he's going to be a cool individual to talk with, and uh, he he has agreed to join us on Monstrex Radio, and I'm excited about that. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a fun thing. Yeah, no, it's um, Todd. When I was able to go out with Todd to the nest site with uh, Shane and and uh, Chris Spencer and um, Rebecca Slick, and it was yeah, we had it, we had a good time. It was, and I got to know Todd. I'd, I'd met Todd before, but but that was really um, uh, a lot of fun. He's 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 a kick in the pants. So I think oh, we've, we've actually run over yeah run over uh, our normally allotted time for the show, but that we just couldn't stop. And uh, I know there. Yeah. There were, uh, was another caller or two, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Yeah. We'll schedule another one. This is, we were kind of trying this out to see how it would go. One of the things, we didn't want to deal with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, trolls calling in. You get that sometimes when you do a live show. Uh, <laughs> quite a while back, we did, you know, we were doing live shows all the time, and we had a couple of Yahoo right. call in, and, and it, was, uh, it was entertaining, actually, but we were well. able to get it under control, so... Yeah, the the live shows the live shows are tough because you have to deal with 
we don't have like a five second delay here on Blog Talk. It's very much a live format, and uh, we've dealt with this in the past. This was kind of a gamble, uh, and it worked out great tonight. We had some really interesting questions, some that I hope I I answered as best as I could. Um, but overall, I think it went really well. Uh, like I said, lot, we had a couple callers in, in the queue, and uh, we unfortunately can't take those callers. Uh, but uh, so much to talk about. We need to do this again real soon, Gunner. Yeah, no, I, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun because I, I like. First of all, I like talking to to my friends about Bigfoot and and having a uh, having some of them call in and and it's just like sitting around the campfire and and uh, and BSing about the subject, you know. And it's and it, you know everything is pretty much a, a vast majority of what we're talking about with the subject is is speculation and opinion. I mean, you, we don't know, you know, we don't have answers. We have more questions than answers. So we uh, we really appreciate the folks that took the time to call in. And I know there were, I'm sorry to the folks that didn't get a chance to to come on air, but we will do this again soon. It will, I think it was a, a, a good show to do, and uh, we look forward to talking to those that uh, didn't get their, their questions answered. So I I think with that, we're going to uh, wrap this up. I want to thank my co-host, Julie Rents and Mr. Shane Hardcore Corson, for joining me today here on Monster X. Until next week, um, have a great week, and uh, go out and find a big play. <laughs> yes. There's something outside. What is that? Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.